Yeah. Hold my feet. Hold on. <laughs> I got three more sit-ups to go. Three, two, two one. Seal yeah. it with a kiss. Seal it with a kiss. <laughs> oh, yeah. Back on. Welcome back to the Gentleman Dojo. Ooh, I feel like I just saw you. Yeah. Good seeing you again. Good to be here. It's so nice not having Patrick here. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Keene is not with us. No. At Citizen Keene. He finally had a booking this year. Yeah, well, well he, but true. True. Unbelievable. Uh, thank He's you, guys. Gone. Thank you, guys, for the continued ratings and reviews on we love them. iTunes. Uh, subscribing. Nothing SoundCloud. in life is ever free, Stephen. So, which is why we decided if somebody goes to our site, rates and reviews us, for better, uh, lets us know what they think. We will send them a Gentleman's Dojo exclusive T-shirt. Now, who doesn't want one That's of those right. in time for the holidays? You write and review us. You get a free Dojo T-shirt. There's no joke. Uh, if they rate us a one, Steve, let's face facts. We're not throwing that fucker in the mail. But That's true. if they do give us a four or above, <laughs> yes. I, I will say this. if they, We want honesty, obviously. We want to know what we can improve upon. Yeah. But I will tell you, the quality of the shirt, the cotton gets better with a four or five. <laughs> one or two, it's a polyester blend. It's probably going to shrink up if right away. If it's a one, it's you and a Sharpie doing the, doing <laughs> it's, the artwork. It's me with, with, with an old Fruit of the Looms t-shirt that we just signed. Well, yeah, rate, review us. Yeah. Uh, get your address and t-shirt size to Gary Cannon, and we will get you those t-shirts. Rate, review um, us. The holidays are right around the corner. Get your Gentleman's Dojo t-shirt. This is your favorite walk part around of the show. Your, yeah, I love it. I love when you hear the dial tone. Do you want to give him a proper? Yeah. Hello. There Mark. it is. Yeah, buddy. How's it going, man? I'm here with Gary Cannon. Thank you so much. For joining us in the Gentleman's Dojo, let's give you a proper introduction here. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But easily- Can you hear me okay? Oh, we can hear you. We can hear you great. Uh, Easily one of the best podcasts out there, the WTF podcast, on a brand new show called Glow. Very funny comics, comic. And a new hour Netflix special that that just came out. Guy's got everything going on. How about a round of applause for our guest today in the dojo, Mr. Mark Marin, everybody, right there. Marin, thank you so much thank for joining you. us. When, when is the last time you were in a dojo? Just curious. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, I think, I, maybe in a dream. <laughs> maybe in a dream I was in a dojo. I can't remember the last time I was in an actual one, but I think it showed up in a dream that was uh, not a nightmare, and it was spiritual. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. I, I will so. tell you, people are clamoring to get on your podcast, the WTF podcast. Uh, comics are clamoring to not do this podcast. So thank you. <laughs> we, we have the opposite effect on people. So your podcast helps comics. We hurt comics. Oh, that can't be true. Look at that. I have an incoming call, but I, I'm not going to take it because I'm in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> that would be great if you put us on hold during the podcast. That'd be... Marin, I got to well, ask you. Yeah. I've known you for, for years since uh, New York City, back of the cellar, and I, it's something I've always wanted to ask you about. You you were pals with Kinnison. What it, I mean, what was that like to witness that, that trajectory, uh, to, to see just that lightning rod? Did you know out of the gates that this guy is going to be something special? Well, I mean, I kind of was. I, I met him when I became a, a, a doorman at the comedy store. Mm-hmm. In '86, uh, or no, '87, and so he was already kind of about to happen. Like I went to Carl LeBeau's apartment with Richard Belzer in Belzer's Cadillac Eldorado wow. to watch the to watch the premiere 
of Sam's HBO special, the first one, which really broke him. But, you know, he sort of broke, you know, with the Dangerfield special. But so when I met him, he was already a pretty big star and already well on his way to terrorizing the brains of America. And, <laughs> you know, I, you know, in retrospect, I wouldn't say he was a great guy or good friend. But, um, but you know, it was certainly exciting uh, yeah. to do that much cocaine and then to uh, be turned on like an animal. So uh, the, the experience was an educational one in that uh, I didn't, I didn't really realize what the uh, parameters of my ability to do drugs was, and I learned that. That's an important <laughs> lesson. <laughs> you know your tolerance level. I did. Yeah, I also learned that, you know, if you don't sleep enough and you do enough cocaine, you'll you'll get psychosis and hear voices in your head. That was exciting. That was an exciting few months. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it was compelling. If you, you know, I don't know you know, who's really cut out to hang out with a guy like that. And, and there aren't that many of those guys around anymore. Right. But it was, uh, he definitely had a lot of uh, strange courage. Like, you, you know, he was a lot, like someone asked me about, like, I imagine on some level, well, I don't know, I don't want to get too political or anything, but like, you know, he was a, a, a real, he was a real kind of a bully. He was a real sort of uh, opinionated, angry fucker. And uh, it was sort of amazing to see the material, some of it generate. Like, I watched the, the, the creation of the homosexual necrophilia bit, which is really one of the great bits. Mm -hmm. And to see him do that for the, for the first few times that he did it was just mind-blowing. So he was really doing something with comedy where you'd want to go in the room and just be like, oh, man, this is crazy. And, uh, and that doesn't happen too much anymore, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I Ryan Regan has a similar bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, Marin, uh, when I first kind of passed at the cellar, you were really kind to me, and you 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 said to me, as like a young comic, I'm like, there's no way. Where you're like, it's going to take you 10 years to find your voice. And I think it took me 15 years to find my voice, to be completely honest with you. More. Maybe I'm still finding it. But, <laughs> but your stand-up is so, so personal. It's extremely personal. When did you feel that you truly clicked, and when did you make that decision? Have you always been extremely personal, or did you make a decision to just go in the in, in the deep end and really be revealing? Well, I mean, I you know, I think that advice that I gave you was probably advice that I had gotten because I think ultimately, you know, it's taken me longer to uh, to get comfortable on stage. I, I mean, I honestly don't think that I really landed in my own body until maybe five or six years ago, uh, to be honest with you, because wow. so much of the well, so much of the job is pretending that you're not afraid or pretending that you're okay and pretending that, you know, you've got your shit together up there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's really, that's 80% of the job, really, right? So it wasn't until, you know, midway through the podcast where I started, uh, you know, getting fans for, like, more of, for more about who I am than my comedy, that people understood me on a personal level because I was being personal, uh, that I sort of found the confidence to sort of uh, go more deeper uh, with the comedy. I was always pretty personal, but it was always pretty angry and aggravated mm -hmm. uh, for many years and, and bitter. You know, I really, really sort of thought that that, that was sort of uh, what everybody was inside. I really kind of tried to do that for years, like... 
my assumption was that if everybody just went a little deeper, they'd find that they're just as bitter and angry as I was. It doesn't turn out to be true. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was just a, a bitter, angry guy yeah, yelling at people. And half of them were laughing out of discomfort, and the other half were sort of like, oh, this guy makes it okay. So, so it wasn't really until I started to really feel that people were coming out to see me and that I got away from politics and that I really started to kind of open up and be more honest. But it was always pretty personal. And another reason was when I started the podcast and I got out of the political game, you know, because, specifically because it's very hard to talk about you know, almost anything in, in, the, in the public arena uh, without it being either redundant or somebody else's thought or, you know, something that anyone else could easily get, you know, a joke on. So there was another more practical element that's being personal was that, well, they, no one else can do my life. So, right. you know, because there's so, many, there's so many comics and everybody's drawing from the same pot of uh, cultural problems that, you know, there's so much crossover. So I was also trying to avoid crossover, you know, uh, more later in life around personal material. It's just sort of like, well, no one's got that story because it happened to me. But even then, you know, people will have similar experiences. But when you're doing the podcast, I assume it's it's somewhat cathartic as you're going along. Were you surprised at, at the impact it had, the success it's had, and the fact that you're, I mean, you're interviewing the president of the United States of America. I mean, that's something you're not thinking when you're first doing it, but the trajectory of it all, uh, were you just blown away by it? And are, are you still, or is it just something you've just accepted as it's gone along? Well, it, you know, it was pretty crazy. You know, I knew... There, you know, because we got in at a time where there, 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 there was no real, there was no real business around podcasts. There was no real podcast community. You know, I just sort of lucked out on the timing of it, and the nature of how I was doing it was somehow different than than other interview shows. In that I was making myself so personally available to the audience and to the guest. You know, almost to a fault. You know, injecting my own life into everything, but. But I think that because of the way I had conversations, it, it sort of helped popularize the medium, and it made my show popular, and it gave everybody the idea that everyone could do it. So the trajectory was, it was sort of astounding, but it, it did become clear to me that I was having conversations with people in a different way than most people were. I don't know why I wasn't trying. You know, I'm just a needy guy, you know, who wants to, you know, figure stuff out, and I, I, I have a connection uh, a way of connecting with people that was unique, and I never knew I had that skill, and I, I'm not sure it's a skill, but it seems to have done all right by me. So, yeah, I was sort of surprised that I was getting the type of interviews that I was getting, and also that, you know, the medium at that time was sort of exciting, and everybody was like, what is this? Well, how, you know, what's going on with these podcasts? So that sort of synced up. But, yeah, of course, when I get to talk to my heroes in my house and a president, uh, it's insane, dude, but a lot of that has to do with, you know, the shifting of the media landscape as well. I mean, I remember, you know, at the beginning, people were coming over going like, this is it, this is where we're doing it. Like, they'd show up in my neighborhood, and they're like, what the hell is this? Where, where, where am I? You know, I need a parking permit? I'm allergic to yeah, cats. Well, I've had many allergic to cats. You know, if you listen to that old one with Ed Helms, he's literally wheezing, and I yeah. would not stop the interview because I hadn't, I, I hadn't hit the hour yet. You know, uh, yeah, Madrigal, 
He's allergic to cats. Kathy Bates just came over. Wow. He's allergic and had to run through the house. Uh, who else were you? Yes, yeah, the cat thing has come up definitely. And, and so, did you ever have an interview, Mark, that you were really, really excited about, and then it just turned out that it wasn't what you were hoping for? Maybe a, either a childhood hero or an actor or an actor. Somebody comes on and you were just really bummed that it, it wasn't what you were hoping for? Well, I don't know if it's not what I'm hoping for, but a lot of times I'm surprised because I do approach these people that we know from their work with a certain amount of, you know, my idea of who they are. You know, like, you know, you enter these things, you know, an actor or a comedian or, you know, like, you know, I got a good sense of this guy because I'm, I'm a fan or I know his, his work, but I'm always, you know, wrong. And it's not always bad. It's rarely bad because they obviously have a much fuller life and have a much broader personality than, you know, what you pigeonhole them as in your mind from their work. You know, when you sit down with them for an hour, you're like, oh, my God, I never thought you were that guy. But it's rarely, it's rarely bad. Uh, it's usually good. You know, it's always surprising. I have been disappointed because I couldn't get through to people, mm-hmm. and I sometimes feel like they either steamrolled me or kind of, uh, uh, you know, charmed me with their bullshit. But, you know, that's the nature of celebrity, and sometimes you can get around it, and sometimes you can't. Of all these things that can be said to describe you, uh, obviously the host of your immense popular podcast, a writer, a producer, an actor, a stand-up comic. You've been off-Broadway. You've been a radio host. You're a musician. Of all these things, what do you find the most solace in, and what to you is the biggest grind? Well, you know, I'm a comic, and that's what I set out to do, and that's always been what I did, and that's the most important thing to me in a lot of ways, that that stays intact and keeps growing. You know, I think that the last special that I just put up, Too Real, is really the best thing I've ever done. And I didn't think it was going to come together, but it's really the best thing I've ever done as a comic, and I'm very proud of that. And I don't I don't always feel that in my life about, you know, things I've done in the past comedically, or, you know, you grow and you evolve, but, like, I think this that thing's a whole work, and I'm proud that I'm a comic, and I'm proud that, I, that, the, that that piece of work came out the way it did, and it shows, you know, my experience and my craft and, and what I've been doing. So that's always been the thing I've... I've I've, I've been, that's organically me. And it used to really freak me out at the beginning when WCF was getting popular and people were like, I love the podcast. There was always part of me that wanted to go like, but you know, I'm a comic. Have you seen the comedy? You know, like I was always, <laughs> like and now people go like, I really like your show. And, and there's part of me that's sort of like, which one? What are you talking, you know, what are you talking about? The comedy? Is it, did you see the comedy? You know, like, <laughs> and then, you know, like when I started the podcast, people would come out and they'd be like, well, we're here to support you know, to my show, I'm like, I don't need support. I'm a comedian. I need to be an audience. This isn't a, a self-help adventure. <laughs> you know, like, like it was driving me nuts. I'm like, you know, people, because my audience initially, they weren't comedy fans. They were, they liked me. So they'd come out and a lot of times it was their first experience with comedy. And some of them, even now with Too Real, they're like, we were, I wasn't sure if you knew how to do comedy. I'm like, yeah, I've been doing it all my life. <laughs> right. You know, like, so... But that, you know, that is, you know, my heart is really in it as a comic. The, the grind thing, I never look at comedy as a grind. It just seems like something genetically necessary for me to do to survive emotionally and mentally, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, but, you know, the podcast is a job. You know, there's some days, you know, where you know, we're delivering one every Monday, every Thursday. And there's some days where I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I don't know what to say. There's some interviews where I'm like, oh, what am I going to talk about, you know, with this guy? It always works out. 
But, you know, that is the thing that on a week-to-week basis, you know, needs attention, needs to happen. You know, it is a job, but it is, you know, but it is also, you know, something I enjoy doing and I always feel better when I talk to people. But sometimes it is hanging over me, you know, that I have to, you know, like I got to interview, who am I interviewing tomorrow? Like, you know, like I'm going to interview Bo Bridges and his brother Jeff Bridges this week. You know, Jeff Bridges... You know, and it's like, you know, a big movie star, and we all love Jeff Bridges, and Bo Bridges is a, a lesser uh, movie star, but, you know, nonetheless, he's done a lot of stuff. So, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I got to kind of like, well, how do I figure out how to, how do I approach Bo Bridges? So, you know, that'll be going on inside of my head for a couple of days, that and, you know, being bombed by North Korea. So, there's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> it, does, it does seem interesting. But, uh, because when we try to get yeah. podcast guests, we always say, hey, here's who's done our show before. Uh, we'd like you to be part of this community that we've, we've built up. But how can you – I mean, if, if you say Obama's done my show before, yeah, it would seem pretty hard. I mean, the, 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 one dang, the one carrot we dangle over our guests that we're trying to get is we had Chris Hansen from To Catch a Predator. So we, we, <laughs> that's our get. So I know that you, you have Obama, so I, we're pretty similar on that page. But how can somebody say well, no? But the, but the, Sometimes it's not easy. I can't get everybody. You know, people always like just get so and so. It's like, you know, it's all relative still to if people want to do that kind of interview. You know, not everybody wants to sit and talk about themselves for an hour or reveal themselves or feel like they have to uh, engage on that level, even though they don't. You know, the podcast for a while had a reputation, you know, because Louie cried on it that like people were like, well, do I have to cry? And I'm like, no, you don't. No one has to cry. You know, like I don't. So, so there was this idea that my podcast had to, you had to go deep, but like, I just want the conversation to be organic and engaged, but you still can't, even if Obama did it, I can't seem to get Albert Brooks. I can't seem to get Denzel Washington. I can't seem to get Lily Tomlin. They're just like, you, you're, there's timing involved in this stuff. And a lot of people don't go out and talk unless they're promoting something. And I don't really do a junket interview, but sometimes that's the only time I can get people, you know, but but I'm more excited about people like Randy Newman, who I had two weeks ago, who I'm a big fan of and I've always liked. And, you know, does anyone really, you know, in the modern world, is he that relevant? He's relevant to me, and I love those kind of interviews. Like, right. Like this week, I'm, I, you know, like I'm more, I'm, this week I'm going to interview a guy named John Hammond Jr., who is a, he's been a blues musician forever, and I'm a huge fan of his, but I would imagine most people don't know who he is, but I can't wait to talk to that guy, and I hope he talks. That's my biggest hope. In this life, doesn't matter who it is. I just hope they talk. <laughs> yeah. Well, congrats on on the show, by the way, on IFC. You had four Hello? seasons on that, and oh, the other show. Yeah, it, it, it was a phenomenal show. But um, I want to ask you: Did it when you went in and initially pitched pitched the show? Did it? Sh- did did the evolution of the show stray at all from the initial pitch, or did did it pretty much stay the course of what you initially went in uh, hoping to do? No, I mean, you know, we had, you know, I had almost complete creative control over that thing, and oh, it wow. was, you know, it was the it was the show we could make at that budget for that network. That network was not intrusive; they were very encouraging, mm-hmm. and in not, and more so than not. They were helpful with their notes. They didn't stop me from doing anything. And, uh, you know, and the writers I had were good. And, you know, I sat there in that room every, you know, for every episode. And I wrote a few episodes. And, you know, the, the final draft of any episode had to go through me. And, you know, given all that, uh, not many people watched it. So, you know, there, 
that that's part of the benefit of being on a basic cable station where you know there's there's not a lot of risk involved and there's not a lot of money you know in terms of network type of money involved but there's also you know if you don't get traction you don't get more money for production and you can't you don't have any real control over you know trying to get people to watch it you can only do what you can do i don't think it was a very you know well watched show until it hit netflix and then even then but uh but no, there was nothing in that, those four seasons where I was like, uh, yeah, that got out of my control, or uh, yeah, I was embarrassed about that. You know, you know, I, I was on top of all that shit. Um, and there were, I mean, there were some really personal things in there, obviously. You know, I, I always think of, like, Stern in that movie Private Parts, where his wife is listening. I mean, yeah. were, there, were there times where you're putting, you know, words on scripts that, you know, you're being very personal and, and forthcoming about your personal life. I mean, were there times where maybe it, it, it crossed the line in terms of your personal life as opposed to art imitating life and vice versa? Yes. Well, yeah, well, that happens with, you know, comedy and with, you know, the podcast and with anything. If you talk in public and you share personal stuff, you know, there's, there's always the chance that someone's going to get hurt. Yeah, because stand-up is uh, isolated in that in that environment. But but to have an episode, I guess, about a friend or a family member, you can I go mean, back and yeah, listen, rewatch. Yeah, there. I wanted to ask you about that. Well, my mom, I think, was okay with her with the depiction of her. My dad was not great, but okay. Uh, I don't know that my ex-wife, uh, the the second ex-wife in that episode, right. that was a little gnarly. Yeah. And I don't know if that was the best thing to do. It was cathartic for me, but she doesn't talk to me anyways. I thought it was honest. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it, you know, made her look bad. It made me look awful. But, you know, that's sort of what I do in that in that arena. The girlfriend stuff with the kooky girl, Jen, you know, she's probably mad, but she was a nightmare. And <laughs> I, my, first, <laughs> my first wife... You know, I don't think I misrepresented her very much. Um, so, you know, all in all, you know, it was all cathartic. I don't know that there was a need for me to do it again. I think I'm done with that stuff. I just did an episode, another episode of Joe Swanberg's anthology series, Easy, for Netflix, where, you know, it's an improvised show, and the characters are a lot like me. But, you know, I use some of the stuff from, you know, my first marriage with, I was working with Michaela Watkins. We were improvising. I watched it screaming. I went to a screening of it the other night, and I realized, like, I think I'm done, you know, mining this stuff. You know, it's over. So there are liabilities. I I don't think I hurt too many people. Um, uh, But, you know, there there is that argument, though, well, it's my life, too. And if I'm not doing it vindictively, if I'm not doing it vindictively, you know, I have ownership over that. But I'm not so sure with my father uh, and my second ex-wife that there wasn't some spite involved. You know, I'll... That's between me and God, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I think of a comic hitting the road with your pals, you know, hooking up with chicks, partying, I think of you, Eugene Merman, and Andy Kindler. How crazy was that tour? <laughs> <laughs> In 2008, you toured with these guys. How was that? That was a long time ago. It was a big idea. <laughs> it was sort of a sad... It was a sad time because I think me and Andy... At that time, you know, I had no draw. No one gave a shit. That was before the podcast. Right. And I think me and Andy were really hoping Eugene would pull some people in. <laughs> that's, 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 how, that's where that tour was at. And it was fun. It was the first time I'd done a little tour like that and did rock menus mostly. It was okay. I prefer comedy clubs uh, and theaters, really. 
small theaters, comedy clubs. But it was fun, and we traveled okay together. It was a little, you know, they're very you know, diverse personalities there. Yeah. I used to say that, I used to say, like, traveling, driving in a car with Andy Kindler is like being in a car with the history of the Jewish people. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you... It was very nice. It, it got a little intense at the end. I think we were all arguing or something. But if you look at your career, Mark, and everything that you've By done... By the way, 30 years in stand-up, this, yeah. this year, you started in 87, correct? Yeah, about then, yeah. 30 years, congrats, I man. I made my first... Thank you. Yeah, hey. I think I made my first... My, yeah, I did some uh, early... When did I start? Yeah, 87. I think I, star, I, I, I started it as a job in 88 is when it was a job, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, when do you realize, because comics are obviously so skittish, they're worried about where the next gig is, if they can keep doing stand-up full-time and make a living, but but when did you finally realize that, holy shit, I, I'm a comic, I'm making money, this is my full-time living? Was that back in 88? No, man, you know, it's like, they, you, there was always hard times, man, and I don't, you know, I'm very grateful for however I got here, but, you know, for years, you know, and, and you guys know, you know, for years, like, you know, you're, you're going check for check. You know, you got, you know, $1,200 in your bank account. You're doing one-nighters, you know, in Boston and New Hampshire and Vermont. I'm running up. I moved to New York in, like, 89, and I was running up to Boston to, to do New England one-nighters Wednesday through, Friday, through Sunday, and I couldn't get on anywhere in New York. So, you know, it's a pretty scrappy living for a long time. You know, and then, like, if you're lucky, a deal will come here and there like a TV deal, and you kind of hold on to that money, hope it goes somewhere. Usually it doesn't. Uh, but I never set out to be a writer, so I, that was never an option. I was always an on-stage guy. And, you know, it, it's been it's, not, it, it's been a hard living for a lot of those years. And uh, with every once in a while, there are windfalls. You know, somehow or another, you know, I got that radio gig. But every time I've taken gigs like that, I hosted a game show for a week. Thank God no one saw it. But I was desperate, <laughs> and I was, and I was, and I was broke, you know. And, and Air America, I, I had, I didn't have nothing going into that, and that made me a lot of money. And then that all got, you know, taken in a divorce. So, you know, by the time I started the podcast, it, it was bleak, dude. Yeah. So, you know, there was never a point where I was like, "This is easy street." You know, until the last few years, I finally saved some money. I'm living a different quality of life. I have several, you know, income streams between the podcast, you know, doing TV and, and touring, you know, but it took, you know, 25 years to get to any sort of, you know, security. And it's such a long shot. But yeah, we, when I started the podcast, I, I was looking down, you know, the barrel of being a relatively obscure headliner, just, you know, hammering it out. And, you know, so I, it's a miracle, you know, timing and, and talent, I guess, that that the podcast worked out and changed the trajectory of my life. You know, I'm grateful for it. But in terms of, yeah, I knew I was making a living as a comic for years. Was it a good living? No. Did I have insurance? No. Did I know if it was going to work out? No. Did I have a plan B? Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> <laughs> well... Look, Mark, we cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your day to call in and hang with us. Look, 
I've always known you at the cellar. I've always looked up to you. And to see the success you've had, uh, it, it's just I, I couldn't be happier for you. I wish you continued success on your trajectory. And congrats on the newest hour. Too Real on Netflix right now and Glow. I, I think you guys have a season two, right? Yeah, I'm, still, I'm going to get my haircut right now at the, at the place to, at the, by the hair lady. Well, I, I think best hair in comedy goes Colin Jost, Mark Maron, Chris D'Elia. So congratulations on the hair as well. <laughs> and Forrest Shang. Thanks, dude. Forrest Shang, yeah. Congrats, <laughs> pal. Thank you so much. What I meant to say is I'm going, I just came, like, I'm about to walk in to get my haircut for the part. I start shooting Glow October 16th, and they gotta, I got to shave off my soul patch and get my hair looking 1980s. I'm sitting, I'm getting ready to do that. We start shooting on the 16th. Oh, uh, nice. Well, congrats, and can't wait to see the new season, bud. And uh, too real. Congrats Thanks on the hour, bud. All right, take care, Mark. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye-bye. Later, Thank buddy. you, Mark. Mark Marin. Wow. It, it, it's, it's so funny. I mean, funny. it's almost like the godfather of podcasts having him on is Well, it, it's also unreal. funny, too, when you think about it, because everybody's life looks so much different from your point of view. Like, oh, my gosh, that guy's got it great, and that guy yeah. does that, and the other thing. And then you hear about him going into that podcast having really not much going on. Yeah. Him really needing that gig. I remember two years ago, 2015, nothing going on. Got the call from Conan. A couple months later, the call from Dr. Ken. It's like this business can be great and awful at the same time. You get that call that changes your life for the better. Yeah. And the call that changes your life for the worst when I got the call to do Sullivan and Son. So it, it just it, it really does mm. uh, change That's things. That's I wasn't trying. Uh, I felt uh, fun. Yeah. Felt, nice. felt horrible. Where are we going for lunch? Uh, Shut up. So, yeah, but I mean, just to hear all of his struggles. And there's a guy who's a real comic, not these guys. True. Not these guys that. Yeah, and, and it was funny. I was mentioning Shang, but I ran into Shang a couple nights ago. That guy's just the consummate He's a grinder, road yeah. dog. Just always on the road, <laughs> you know, w- worried about just making his stand up the best it can be. And there's these other guys that are just shooting videos in their room and hoping people watch them online. And, uh, and you don't even do that. I don't um, even do that. So I was, I, I, you know, we just didn't have enough time, but I was in the hallway at the comedy store last week, and Jimmy Schubert walks in. I'm standing next to Marin. We're talking, and Schubert is just, you know, they know each other from back in the day at the comedy store, running around with Kinnison and all that and partying back then. But uh, Schubert's just like, hey, man, congratulations on the new hour, on the second season. He had read something, and Marin was like, yeah, thanks, man. 30 years, 30 years. And you could see in that moment, it was like something that wasn't verbally communicated. It was in his face, and you could just see. It was almost like an exhaustion and a relief. And uh, I just felt so happy for him because I know he's had – his ups and downs uh, in his career, as we all do, you know? I sure. mean, being a comic, it's it's full of ebbs and flows. But, hey, look, we're happy to be here. We're happy to have had an incredible guest today, Mr. Mark Maron. Yeah. Uh, again, one of the first podcasts I had ever even heard of. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it, it's almost like this Hollywood insider thing, but it's also mainstream, but it's got a cult, and it's got a mainstream. It's, it's weird. It, it really toes the line between all these great things and what makes – a successful podcast, but it all begins and ends with Mark and his interview style, and he is a phenomenal comic. So, too real on uh, Netflix. Thinky Pain—that's the other hour special, and he's got a ton of stuff out there. I have a question, Steve. How would I go about getting a gentleman's dojo T-shirt? I'm oh, sorry. I thought you were going to slam me. <laughs> no, no, no. Please go ahead. How would I go about getting a gentleman's dojo T-shirt, Steve? Well, if you want the official I would dojo love one. T-shirt, I'm looking at it right now. It's you rate and review us. 
at iTunes. Go to SoundCloud. Subscribe. If you give us a review, a rating, no matter what it is, if you're honest, we'll send you a T-shirt. Wait a minute, Stephen. You're saying that I'm just going to get a T-shirt in the mail by just going to SoundCloud or <laughs> iTunes and reviewing this thing. There's got to be a string attached. Yeah, go Steve. to iTunes, review us, and you got to. Here's the here's the yes. catch. You got to follow Gary Cannon. Yeah. He's going to follow you back. <laughs> you write him. I'm going to have a box load of shirts in my garage. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but you will because we're getting them done. We're getting them done. Rate and review us. Let us know what you think. We are more than proud of our season two stable of shows, starting off with Vince Vaughn doing episode 100. Yeah. So many great shows. Uh, just more of that to come. If there's a guest that you would like us to have on, send that to us through Twitter, Facebook. Let us know who you'd like us to interview. And starting uh, after this episode posts, send us your questions. We want questions from yes. you guys. We're going to answer three questions. They can be random questions. They can be anything you want. They can be tailored to specifically Gary or Patrick or myself. Um, but send us your questions. We're going to read three every episode at the end of the episode, and we will reveal who uh, who wrote us as well. We're going to say your and name And we're going to get those people who send us questions T-shirts as well. Exactly. So yeah. keep in touch. We're, we're creating more of a community here at the dojo. That's the point of all this. So go to iTunes. Write that review. Get it over to get, just let Gary know. We're going to take care of you. So thank you so much. Thank you to our guest, Mark Marin. Yep. I think I can speak on behalf of both of us when I say we miss you, Patrick Keen. Yeah, we do. Where can they find you? At Cannon Comedy. At Citizen Keen on Twitter and at Steve Byrne Live. All my tour dates are up, SteveBurnLive.com. And don't forget to watch Tell the Damn Joke, which is streaming now in Showtime, or you can rent it at Amazon. <laughs> <laughs>